Middle East on the brink, North Korea on the brink, Iran increasing its aggression, elections in Taiwan. Look, there's a lot of global instability as we ourselves plunge into primary season. How have you sheltered your savings and investments from potential major setbacks to the economy? You think it can happen here? It can happen here, but it's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold. And Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. As opposed to many other investments, Gold thrives in times of uncertainty. It is an important part of diversifying your savings. Now listen, here's how Birch Gold can help make it a part of yours. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. And it doesn't cost you a penny out of pocket. You want to learn more? Just text SAVAGE to 989898 for a free info kit. S-A-V-A-G-E, text it to 989898 and you get a free info kit. It costs you nothing. Just text SAVAGE to 989898. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to arm yourself with the knowledge of diversification through precious metals. Protect yourself. Text SAVAGE to 989898 and claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold. Do it now. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Thank you very much. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture. And here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Well, folks, welcome to the free Savage Nation podcast, and I'm going to keep it free for all of you. But for those of you who have been requesting that we provide for you an ad-free podcast, we're going to keep doing that. And in addition to getting the ad-free podcast, which many of you want, for less than the price of a beer in a bar a month, only $3.99 a month, you're going to get an occasional monologue from me. Maybe I'll read from one of my novels. You're going to get an archive piece going back to 1994. Whatever comes up, you're going to get on an occasional basis. Details will be seen on my website, michaelsavage.com. I'm going to give you a link right now. And if you want to join, all you got to do is go to glow.fm slash savage premium. Glow.fm slash savage premium. Glow.fm slash savage premium. If you click on it. You're going to see a cartoon of me join Savage's exclusive club with the rate and you just click and you join. You're going to love it. I appreciate it very much. I hope you join the Savage exclusive club. I want to thank you very much for supporting the Savage Nation podcast, either the free version or the paid version, your patronage. It's appreciated. It's that simple. All right, welcome to Coffee and News of the Day. This is a nightmare out there. Let's go to some of the websites to catch you up on the stuff you're not seeing on Fox, CNN, and the other channels. Let's go to Breitbart.com. I like it the best. Disaster interview. Biden falsely declares no one's being killed right now. But look, but no one's being killed right now. God forgive me for if I'm wrong about that, but no one's being killed right now. Look, I've watched Biden's face. Any rational person watching Biden's face knows he is not all there. The man has all the signs and is exhibiting all the signs of pre-senile dementia or some other mental disorder. 
He is not fit to be president. He freezes up. His eyes go wide. He doesn't know what he's talking about. It's a nightmare to watch that this man is leading this nation. But is he leading this nation? Is he the one who led us out of Afghanistan, leaving the equipment behind, leaving the civilians behind? Well, if he did it, then he should be impeached. If he didn't do it, then the individual behind him should be arrested for sedition. Report, multiple fatalities after Taliban opened fire on protesters. Didn't see that on CNN, did you? Terror threat, possible explosives truck near Capitol. It, it can go on. I mean, I'll read more of it, but what's the point? You know all of this by now, right? You want to go on to the mask job? What's going on with masks in Florida? Another story that's catching people's attention. Miami schools defy Governor DeSantis. Bareface battle in Florida. Biden threatens legal action. The mask jobs. Okay, anti-COVID plastic barriers make things worse. And meanwhile, roaring 401k balances hit new all-time high. Meanwhile, in California, there is a recall election going on. Larry Elder campaign targets a new opponent, the press. I don't blame him. Larry Elder would would really shake things up. Look, I was on the radio all the years he was on the radio. Larry was never the brightest uh, bulb in in, in the store. We know that. But he did a good job, and he did it over and over again. He's got a a long history of good, solid, patriotic, conservative values. And he's showing every sign that he could win. Let's see what happens. Meanwhile, in California, look, I live here, and I'm thinking of leaving. As much as I love this state, and I don't mean the social aspects of the state, I can't take it anymore. The fires, the social pollution, the bums the crime, the minority crime wave, you name it. Blaze burns across Sierra Nevada first time in recorded history. I mean, it's unbelievable. 10,000 strong army fighting the fires are exhausted from them. The fires out here are out of control. Now, you could say, well, who do you blame? Well, you can blame the weather. You can blame the climate. You could also blame the morons who run the state forestry department. Because the morons who run the state forestry department have not cleared the deadwood from under the living trees for years for fear that they will upset a butterfly or a squirrel. And so, therefore, the forests are burning. So don't just blame climate change. Yes, of course, there's climate change. Climate changes all the time. We're through a major drought. I've lived here for, let's say, since 1974, quite a long time. We had a great drought here in the 80s where the reservoirs went dry. And I was just up at the reservoir, one of them, on the Mount Tam. It's pretty dry now. But I was here in the 80s when it was bone dry down to the mud. This is not something really new. It's a Mediterranean climate which runs through drought and then wet seasons. We're in a very dry season. It's that simple. I mean, we could talk more about Taliban and Afghanistan if you want to do that. The fact of the matter is, it's a nightmare out there. Nobody can get to the airport. They're trapped in the no man's land. The American troops are facing the Taliban. And of course, we don't have a Jimmy Carter right now. What we have is something worse than a Jimmy Carter right now. Jimmy Carter was a leftist, but he was not exhibiting pre-senile dementia. We have a far left administration being ruled by the squid who are outright communists, and then we have a senile or pre-senile demented president. And then behind him, we have an empress 
Nancy Pelosi is probably the worst person in the history of American politics. One of the most evil, manipulative, insensitive people in the history of American politics. She's probably pulling the strings. What else is in the news? You want more of this? Let's go to michaelsavage.com and see what my people put up today. Let's see. Uh, exclusive Savage interview. Join and listen to the history being made. Oh, the old interview with Steve Allen. It's really good. He was one of the last great comics who didn't use dirty words to get a laugh. My podcast is entitled Biden's Biggest Blunder, The Fall of Kabul. It is worth listening to because I interview a general who commanded the 101st Airborne there for many years. He knows what is going on. I'm the only member of the American media who knows the history of the area sufficiently enough to have asked my guest to tell us about the Silk Road that runs through Afghanistan from China. Get it? Got that one figured out? What else? As desperate parents hoist children over wall to U.S. soldiers, even an Obama flunky says obviously Biden didn't get the intelligence right. No kidding. FBI arrest the man who proved Ilan Omar married her brother. I don't know how this woman is still not in prison. Oh, I'm sorry. It's Biden, the president. Welcome to Seattle. Naked man stabs another naked man in broad daylight. Well, hey, that's a cultural thing out there. Socialist publication fires a staff for doing socialism. San Francisco DA faces second recall effort as residents fed up with progressive zero consequence policies. He's an evil bastard. The DA in San Francisco is the son of terrorists. He's the one who has permitted the crime wave to metastasize, etc. Let's see what happens. I think they control the polls so well, there will be no recalls. What else is in the news? Let's go to the New York Post before I release you from the day's events. Let's see. We'll never surrender inside the last free Afghan province that refuses to buckle to the Taliban. The province of Panjshir, meaning five lions at the foot of the lush Hindu Kush mountain range, has become the last bulwark against Taliban fighters who have seized the country at breakneck speed after America's pullout. Yeah. I think it's called a blitzkrieg. Hitler uh, was real good at the blitzkrieg, and so was the Taliban. I'm surprised the squid hasn't gone over there bringing flowers and uh, fruit to the Taliban since they seem to reflect their values uh, in a large manner. I think they should go to Afghanistan and make a, uh, a, a missive towards the Taliban, the squid, and maybe they can stay there and help them. D.C. police warn of active bomb threat. It'll be over by tomorrow. It'll be nothing. Someone set off a firecracker. Larry David screamed at Alan Dershowitz at grocery store over Trump ties. This is hilarious. Two lefty, uh, I can't finish the rest of the sentence. Two lefties from Brooklyn screaming at each other. One is more to the left than the other. We're supposed to take sympathy for Alan Dershowitz, the snake. Larry David's always been a, a piece of garbage, a snake, a bum, a mook. The lowest form of my people is Larry David. Larry David is one step away from the worst in the history of my people. I hate him. Alan Dershowitz is not much different. He plays the middle ground. What else do you want me to tell you? What else is in the news? Uh, it has to stop violent New York City Chico gang taken down by cops. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, the hatchet attacker in Manhattan. Did you see that one? A man of color? Another black on white crime? Yeah, it was a black man with a hatchet. And there was a white man uh, taking money peacefully out of an ATM. And the black man took out the axe and hit him in the leg and then started chopping at him. Hmm. Now, you see, the attacker was wanted on multiple warrants, but the psychopathic judges in New York had let him out. He was allowed on the streets with his axe. He's been uh, arrested many times before. 
Now we keep hearing he's a former soldier like they're trying to smear the military. It has nothing to do with the military. It has to do with an awful lot of other things other than the military. Uh, there's a picture of him in a military uniform. Hatchet attack Aaron Garcia while he's in the Army. They're smearing the Army now in the newspaper. It wasn't the Army that did it. It's he that did it. He should have been in prison a long time ago. Okay? He was arrested many times and released by the psychopathic judges who also should be in prison. But then again, I'm only a podcast host. I can't do anything about it. My hands are tied, but thus far my tongue is not. Thanks for listening. And now let's listen to my podcast today. Today's podcast is called Terror's Greatest Victory Since 9-11. And it is, of course, Biden's hugest, biggest, most magnificent, horrendous blunder, the fall of Afghanistan. He did it backwards. Anyone, you don't have to be a military genius to study history, do you? Don't need to have served in the 101st Airborne to have read history. This is the way it's done. When, you, when an army is withdrawing, a commander-in-chief first evacuates civilians, second evacuates military equipment, and lastly evacuates the troops. Senile Biden and Queen Nancy botched it. They did it backwards. First, they pulled out the troops. Next, they left the military equipment there, and the Taliban now have some of the most advanced American military equipment, even our tanks, and now the civilians are stuck there. Well, I do believe that the president's decision was based on one that reduced uh, the prospect of any attack on our homeland. And the president has made it very clear to the Taliban any assault on any American entity or person would be met. Uh, forcefully. So uh, the, this is what happens when you withdraw. You, some stuff, uh, some equipment is left there. It was thought that that would be used. Uh, it was hoped that it mm -hmm. would be used by the uh, Afghan military to defend its own country. The fact that it did not and could not was all more the reason for us to leave. So our puppet Biden screwed everything up. And now the puppet and Queen Nancy have sent troops back in. That's what's going on. We'll talk about that because I have two great interviews on today's show. The first is with a great journalist, Craig Whitlock, a reporter for The Washington Post who's been reporting on Afghanistan for many years. And he has a new book out entitled The Afghanistan Papers, A Secret History of the War, about how the U.S. invasion of Afghanistan in 2001 had near-unanimous public support. Now, at first, the goals were straightforward and clear, uh, which was to defeat al-Qaeda and prevent or repeat a repeat of 9-11. And yet, soon after the United States and its allies removed the Taliban from power, the mission veered off course and the United States lost sight of their original objectives, and we've been there ever since. We'll be right back on the Savage Nation podcast. Michael Savage, a host like no other. I have a great journalist, Craig Whitlock, a reporter for The Washington Post who's been reporting on Afghanistan for many years. How are you? Glad you could spend a few minutes with us. Very important uh, interview. Well, thanks for your interest and your time. Well, I have a few hundred thousand people who listen to each podcast, and they're going to be fascinated by, you know, this blunder. I, I'm calling it Biden's biggest blunder, the fall of Kabul. You can call it many different things, including whatever you want to call it, but you mentioned in your book, which is coming out when, at the end of the month? That's right. New book available August 31, 
Af- the Afghanistan Papers, A Secret History of the War. You have specialized in national security issues and covered the Pentagon. You know what you're talking about. Why did this happen so quickly, Mr. Whitlock, in your opinion? The fall of Kabul. It happened more quickly than anyone imagined, correct? I think that's right. Uh, Although I think the Afghans maybe saw it coming uh, certainly more than the Americans did. Um, There are a number of reasons. One is the Afghan way of war is a little different from ours in Afghanistan because they've been uh, at war for so long, civil war, war with outsiders. Their commanders are very good at putting their finger to the wind see which way things are blowing and switching sides. So there were a lot mm. of commanders who saw that the Taliban had all the momentum. They saw the Americans were leaving and they knew that they wanted to be with a winner. So a number of them surrendered very quickly. Uh, the other big reason is, frankly, the the Afghan government forces uh, were a paper tiger that mm. even though U.S. taxpayers had spent more than $85 billion over 20 mm. years to train and equip them. Uh, they, they were dysfunctional, corrupt, poorly mm. led. And so they fell apart at the first sign of a serious fight. You mentioned that the U.S. training approach did not use the, quote, strengths of the Afghans as a fighting people. Now, I've asserted for decades myself in my radio show back in 1968 as an anthropologist in Fiji that culture is important. And ignoring local culture is a mistake the U.S. military also made in Vietnam. How could we have made a tribal people into a national fighting force to begin with? Well, that's a really good question. And that was something they struggled with all along was trying to get ethnic balance, tribal balance. Uh, And for instance, they try and have a national army and bring in units to different parts of Afghanistan. How do you try and make it so that they aren't tribes with long-standing uh, hostility toward the local people. <laughs> and I think the Americans just were were kind of, they knew it was an issue, but they didn't know how to solve it. You mentioned something interesting. You said the ethnic differences. Most Americans probably have no knowledge of Afghanistan. It's sort of a monolithic single nation with one religion, one uh, one look, one ethnicity. That's not the truth. What is it really like in Afghanistan? Well, it's a, it's a real mix. It's a melting pot, so to speak. But the biggest ethnic group are the Pashtuns, which are in predominantly in southern and eastern Afghanistan. Uh, the Pashtuns also uh, live in in Pakistan across the border, mm. and historically the border hasn't really meant a lot to them. So the Pashtuns have been the strength of the Taliban, uh, and that they've supported and led the Taliban. But also in, in recent years, the Taliban has branched out and they have more support among some of the other ethnic groups like the Tajiks and the Uzbeks and people like that, frankly, because uh, I think there have been so many people in Afghanistan fed up with the government that people have become uh, more sympathetic to the Taliban, even if they don't have the same tribal or ethnic uh, uh, familiarity in the past. Mr. Whitlock, we are reading and we're all learning as much as we can all of a sudden about Afghanistan all over again. We we learned a lot about it. I did during the Soviet occupation. And we saw that great military of the Soviets crumble, fall to pieces. They left MiGs behind. They left helicopters behind. Trump claims that he would have exited the right way. 
was there really a right way to exit at this time? Could they have destroyed military equipment? We meaning taking our equipment with us, flown our helicopters out, our armored personnel carriers. God knows what else was left behind, which is now part of the new Taliban army. Yeah, that's a really good point. I, I actually think the Pentagon and the Biden administration, they probably did a pretty good job of getting out as much military equipment as they did. They had done most of this by July 4th. What they didn't take out was all the gear, weapons, equipment, ammunition that the Afghan forces were still using. Ah. And that's what the Taliban has taken over overnight. So certainly everything that we had equipped and armed the Afghan government forces with, that's all under the control of the Taliban now. Mm. Uh, and that's that's the most worrisome thing. And you know, what we could have done about that, I'm not sure, but I don't even think Biden foresaw that happening, certainly not that quickly. In a historical context, I'm going to bring up the Silk Road. Often forgotten, people forget what it means, the trade route that ran from China all through the Middle East. Uh, and it all ran through Afghanistan, which seems to have been the crossroads of trade in ancient days, correct? Well, here we are again. Afghanistan seems to be the crossroads again of not only the Silk Road from and to China, but now we read that there are rare earth minerals under the ground in Afghanistan, which, as we all know, are in short supply here in America, used to make the chips for our computers. Who's the big winner on that one? Is it China? Could be. We don't know. I think the problem with getting the rare earth minerals in Afghanistan is the country's been uh, at war for so long, who, you know, no companies, whether Chinese, American, European, Indian, nobody wants to go in there to start a mine because they're worried they'll get blown up. Uh, so, but long term, uh, whoever has the closest relationship with a Taliban led government, if stability does take root there, you know, would have an opportunity to pursue those avenues. <laughs> well, that's but, why China moved in and said they're re going to recognize the Taliban right away. They didn't waste any time, did they? Uh, they sure didn't. Afghanistan papers, a secret history of the war. What is the secret of this history? The main message that we unearthed in obtaining the documents they did was I, I was shocked by how many senior U.S. officials across three administrations, how blunt they were in their admissions that they didn't know what they were doing, they didn't have a strategy, or they didn't believe in what they were doing. They didn't think it would work. And yet that contrasted with what they told the American people and the rest of the world. Ever since Bush went in with his in 2001, the American public has been told really the same talking points all along, which is we're making progress, Things aren't perfect, but, you know, success is around the corner. We're going to win. It takes patience, but we're always moving in the right direction. These are the cliches all of them used. But as the events of the last few days show, that clearly was not going to be the case, was never going to be the case. But the Afghanistan papers show that these officials at the Pentagon, the State Department, the White House, for under three presidents, all knew things weren't going well. And to varying degrees all tried frankly to to hide that most americans don't care about afghanistan until now when they see people falling off the wings of airplanes that are leaving it's a humanitarian disaster that even the ignoramus out there watching tv says oh my god this is terrible what the hell is going on why are they so afraid of the taliban waking up but looking forwards and looking backwards um 
Do you think there will be a wholesale slaughter of the people by the Taliban when the cameras leave? Well, you know, that's a real fear, of course, and we don't know. Uh, the Taliban has a very brutal history. When they were in charge in Afghanistan, you know, they, we, we, we all remember the stories of them chopping off people's hands, uh, executing people, mm. being brutal to women. You couldn't play music. You couldn't fly kites. Uh, I don't think they've changed their ideology. And I think they're smarter now, as you put it, not to do that stuff while the cameras are rolling. Mm. But, you know, we're, we're going to have to see in the coming weeks and months. Mm. Well, it's a terrible thing to watch. I kind of imagine what I would feel like if I were an Afghani trying to get out and holding onto a plane on a runway. It's it, the panic, the level of panic, which, of course, is apparent to anybody looking at this uh, in the world. And I think it's going to, frankly, not blemish, but be the defining moment for the Biden administration. I don't think he's going to survive this politically, nor the Democrat Party. Do you want to look ahead and, and tell us what you think about that? Do you think this will blemish the way Jimmy Carter, the helicopters crashing in the desert, brought his administration down? Will this be the defining moment of the Biden administration? Well, I'm not a political analyst. I'm a national security guy. But that said, uh, those images are going to be hard for people to get out of their heads. Uh, those images of Afghans climbing aboard a moving U.S. Air Force C-17 military aircraft trying to hang on while it is preparing to take off. I mean, that's really haunting. In some ways, that's, that's more heartbreaking than the images we remember from the rooftop of the U.S. Embassy in Saigon in 1975. Looking at Saigon, it looks like it was rather orderly compared to this. But humanitarian disaster, national security is your expertise, which brings us to the question of long-term terrorist fears here in America. Even General Miley, who, as far as I'm concerned, failed us here. He uh, absolutely didn't see this coming, never said anything about it. Uh, he's now saying, he jumped in and said, well, the, the risk of terrorism is greater now. Is that because they now have a home base in which to operate and our special forces will be gone, cannot listen in on them, can't take out the cells? Uh, is this why the national security threat will go up? I think that's what General Milley's saying. I, I'm not sure I buy that entirely. It's certainly mm. a concern what's going to happen in Afghanistan with the Taliban in charge. Uh, you know, they've got a long history of friendly relations with Al Qaeda, but you know, the Taliban was not involved in September 11th. They hosted Al Qaeda, but they didn't know it was coming. And I, mm. I don't think that's in their ideology to attack the United States. They were trying to get the foreigners out of their own country. Al Qaeda moved on a long time ago. Uh, Al Qaeda's leadership was either killed, captured, or dispersed to the wind uh, way back in 2002, shortly mm. after we invaded in Afghanistan. To me, the threat from Al Qaeda really has come from other countries and will continue to do so. Places like Yemen or Somalia, mm. North Africa, even Europe. I think you know Al Qaeda has moved on and figured out how to mm. exist in small numbers in other countries. Uh, so if I was Al Qaeda, Afghanistan's it's far away. It's a it's a primitive place. I wouldn't make my base there. Uh, mm. There's many other places around the world where they can have small cells plot attacks on the United States or other places. We're going to take a short break right here. The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. 
We're speaking with Craig Whitlock, who has a new book available called The Afghanistan Papers, A Secret History of the War. So we're hearing secret history now. So the urban legend is, why are we in Afghanistan? For years, I've heard we don't belong and we want out of there. Most Americans don't didn't even want to be there for a very long time. And the rumor that was circulating was, why are we there? And then people would wisely look at each other and raise their eyebrows and say, well, it's the opium. It's because of the opium. Is there any truth to that? No, I don't think we went to war in Afghanistan because of the <laughs> opium. In fact, I think we didn't know what to do with the opium. I mean, that's an enormous problem. Here we were fighting a war, trying to track down Osama bin Laden, trying to prop up the Afghan government. And then you have this enormous opium problem in Afghanistan. And we didn't know what to do about it because the opium, you know, it's the biggest uh, economic driver there is in Afghanistan. So if you try and do something about opium, you're not only hurting the insurgency, you're hurting the government. You're trying to pop prop up because they depend on that money, too. Is it true the Taliban burned the, the opium fields or they were also selling opium on the world market? The Taliban, that is. So it is true that actually before the invasion in 2001, uh, Mullah Omar, who had been the Taliban leader, the guy with one eye, had mm. issued an, a fatwa, an edict back in 2000 saying, no more opium, it's un-Islamic. Mm. And amazingly, it worked because uh, the Taliban was so brutal and strict. Everybody in Afghanistan starting in 2000 stopped growing opium. But then after we started the war, because of the destabilization, mm. uh, that all picked up again. And now they grow more opium than ever now than they huh. did before we went in. Oh, my God. That's an interesting boy that we can talk about that for quite a while. So are we to assume then that now the Taliban are going to be running the country, they will again crack down on the growth and distribution of opium into world markets? I, I, I wouldn't hold my breath on that because so many people now in Afghanistan are making money off opium, uh, I, I think that would be a tough call. The reason the Taliban did that years ago is because they were hoping they would get humanitarian aid from the United States, United Nations, and Europe. Mm. And the West told them, look, we won't give you aid as long as you are growing all this opium. So they actually stopped it. Uh, but then 9-11 happened and we invaded. And so you know that, that came to a crashing halt. But I, I, I wouldn't expect them to stop opium now because so many Afghan farmers depend on it. Interesting. Well, we kept hearing opium, and that's the real reason. And then you hear the conspiracies going back to the Vietnam and the whole, you know, the CIA nonsense. So we now come to the last big question for me as a former anthropologist. The ethnic background of Afghanistan has always intrigued me because of the difference, how the people look. How many different major invasions have there been? of Afghanistan in, in, in history, just in a thumbnail sketch, there are what, six, seven different invasions and conquests? Well, it depends how you count, but it goes all the way back to the days of Alexander the Great. Uh, it goes back to the days of Genghis Khan. Uh, you have, then you have invasions from essentially the British Empire, the Russian Empire, uh, the Mughal Empire in India, uh, and of course, uh, the United States and NATO. So, you know, Afghanistan, as you said, it's been a trading route from east to west, but it's also been the source of much warfare from powers from around the world for, for centuries. Is there anything that can be done to save the situation now, or is this a complete write-off for, for America? Are we finished there? Are we done? 
I think we are done there unless somehow we get pulled back in. Hopefully that won't happen. But I think the American public has certainly had enough, is fed up, was fed up a long time ago. Uh, you know, Biden certainly hasn't handled things at all well with the withdrawal. But I, I do think there is a lot of he, before the events of the last 10 days, he had a lot of support from Americans who wanted to end the war, just like Trump had a lot of support from yes. Americans when he was trying to end the war. So I don't think there's any appetite to go back in. Well, now he's had to send a thousand troops in, according to newspaper reports. God knows if that'll be it. Uh, obviously, it's a terrible failure, not only for the Biden administration, but for the United States military as well. And this is uh, not something for anyone to cheer because it doesn't do us good as a nation to look this disorganized and weak. And I, for one, am worried that China is watching. Obviously, they are. Russia is watching. Obviously, they are. And I expect an Anschluss moment uh, with regard to Taiwan. I don't think that China would be afraid of us in any way if they wanted to take Taiwan. Do you want to speculate on that or that's too far afield? Well, I think that's separate. I think that the China certainly has their eyes on Taiwan. And, you know, to them, that's always been an extraordinarily important issue. And, you know, their military buildup is certainly a cause of concern. I don't think they will or won't act now because of Afghanistan. I think this is a, a short term embarrassment, mm. uh, but I don't think it really affects our military posture in the Pacific. And I think that's a different calculation by the Chinese. But but it's a fair question. Right. I guess we're all sitting and wondering what comes next. When does the other shoe drop? Craig Whitlock, very famous investigative reporter for The Washington Post, and he has a new book. I'm, how do I not recommend this book? What timing? Boy, you're a smart guy. The Afghanistan Papers, A Secret History of the War. Very good timing. I can't wait to get my hands on a copy. Mr. Whitlock, thanks for making time for us today on the Michael Savage podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Bye now. Bye-bye. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. We went into our archives and found another great interview for you. This one is from January 3rd, 2007, with former Secretary of State General Alexander Haig. That's right. You heard me. It's an important interview where we talk about a number of topics at that time, including Iraq, Iran, and the influence of neocons on our foreign policy, which is still being felt. Joining us now, General Alexander Haig on the Savage Nation. General, welcome. It's a great honor. Well, thank you. It's great to be with you and your listeners. Now, I heard that interview. I don't know when it occurred uh, at the Nixon Library, but I, we, re we recorded some of the, the sound bites, and what struck me most was your reference to history, something I try to mix into the show every once in a while, because... The lack of historical knowledge is, is an all-time low, not only amongst the population, but apparently amongst the leadership. Well, there's no question about it, and uh, it was, incidentally, very recently. I didn't know that you had already had some of that uh, Nixon library. Uh, that's about two or three weeks ago. Oh, yeah, we played yesterday about 30 minutes of it. I was amazed by it the other night. I had come home uh, late, and I watched it. If you were still Secretary of State or even President, what would you do about the Iraq situation, General Haig? Well, I think uh, that Senator Liebman uh, wrote a very good uh, piece on that in the Washington Post this past Friday. And he said that we're, we can't just cut and run. There's no way it can work. And if we do it, we're going to pay for it doubly. 
very, very soon and in a very dreadful way. So what we've got to do is come out of this thing with, with a victory, and a victory is the, to put a government in there that can, can function. Now, I'm not a neocon, and you've probably read about the neocons, and you may probably know about them if I know you. But mm-hmm. these people believe we have the right to go around imposing democracy with a bayonet. I don't agree with that. <laughs> what you do is you make people want to be Democrats because of the example you set. And that's what we Republicans have done until our party was hijacked by the recent administration uh, by imposing neocons. They're ideologues. They are not, they are not pragmatic, national interest-oriented people. Amen to that. I, I, can, I can cite five policies that are a disaster for America, but we don't have the time for that, General. You are a, not only an ex-Secretary of State, but you're a war hero. And I know that war heroes, the few that I really have been honored to know, never want to talk about it. But you uh, actually were awarded the Distinguished Service Cross, which is amazing when you consider the lack of military experience at the highest levels of leadership. I was also impressed to learn that your own grandson, after graduating law school, has volunteered to become an airborne ranger, which is also amazing, and and certainly something that, that you're probably very, very proud of. I am very proud of him, and I'm very proud of him. He is, he's an unusual young man. But let Well, me... having said that, I mean, you have blood in the military. You're a former Secretary of State. You fought in Korea. You worked with MacArthur. You fought in Vietnam. You led a battalion of the U.S. infantry. Your helicopter was shot down. I, it's amazing to me. What would you, as an ex-warrior, uh, I don't think there's such a thing as an ex-warrior, what would you do about Iran where you have a maniac every day saying he's going to wipe out Israel and wipe out America? Well, this is the problem with our country. You know, if you think you have to uh, impose force on people, then you better rally all of the assets that are necessary to do it effectively. That's been the failure of this administration, which I support, but I think it has not done the job right. Uh, If we were going to go into Iraq, we should have gone in with all of the divisions we could muster, and we should have rallied the country behind it, and we should be sacrificing to win a battle which is life or death for our children or our grandchildren, and maybe even before that. So, now, when, when you, excuse me, General, you mean this battle in Iraq is that monumental in importance? Well, of course it is, and we've made it that. But it was also, you know, for us now to question, as some of our former Republican leaders have, that, and some active <laughs> leaders are doing, that this is a, a war that uh, is convenient to get out of because we're not winning it. We're not winning mm. it because we didn't put the assets of this great nation to the task. Right, we, I want you to understand who you're listening to here. We all may remember his distinguished service as uh, Secretary of State from 81 to 82 under Ronald Reagan. But you may not know that you're also listening to a man who goes back to the days of General Douglas MacArthur in Japan. Uh, the general saw combat in the Korean War with the X Corps. He earned two silver stars for heroism, a bronze star with a V. He participated in seven Korean War campaigns. During the Battle of Apgu in Vietnam in 1967, uh, he did some very heroic things, which I will not talk about right now, but Alexander Haig was awarded the Distinguished Service Cross, the the nation's second highest medal for heroism, as well as the DFC. He also received the Purple Heart. So when I ask the general what he would do about Iraq or Iran, it's not the same as asking 
you know, some of the paper tigers who have been advising the president. General, if you were in charge, how would you deal with Iran? Well, Iran is, a, is a, an enemy that we're going to have to confront, and we ought to be preparing for it right now. It doesn't mean it's necessarily so, because if we, incidentally, uh, if we do it right, they're not going to fight us. They don't want to fight us, but they lick us. They lick us in the newspapers every day of the week in America, and they're doing it now. And so mm. until we get leaders who, who understand the nature of the beast, the imperfectibility of man, which is the conservative landmark, then we're going to do what is necessary to, to preserve our country and our values. If we don't, we're going to go down the tube like many great nations have. And I'm no, I agree. We're losing the propaganda war, not because he's a genius of propaganda, but because we have so many enemies in our own media who seem to take the side of the enemy with glee. We both agree on that for sure. Uh, he may not be the biggest threat in the world because he doesn't have the capacity to harm us yet. But let's look at the psycho in North Korea, General. Here's a man who launched uh, uh, missiles into the Japan Sea on July 4th. And after much harsh talk by the president and others who warned him not to do it, we did nothing. Uh, what would you do about him? I would put enough nuclear weapons around that country in the next six months to make it sure he knew that if he even thought of using a nuclear weapon against any American or our allies, that he wouldn't be there tomorrow. And that's, how, that's deterrence. We discarded deterrence at the early part of the past, this current administration, as you know, and it was a serious, dreadful mistake. Deterrence, uh, sort of the Cold War strategy. Well, this has come up over and over again where people say we can't have deterrence because the Islamo-fascist is everywhere. Uh, they can be a cell as small as one psycho who believes in the self-sufficiency of the Quran and that everyone else should be wiped off, off the planet. What would you do with the greater problem of, of Islamo-fascism, General Haig? Now, listen, we have both. We have the North Koreans. They're nuclear-armed. We have maybe Iran, which will be nuclear-armed. And we're going to have the terrorists, and the terrorists are going to grow if we run a cut and run out of Iraq today, or Iran today. Have no doubt about it. We're going to be confronting them faster and in larger numbers if we do that. And listen to some of the guidance that we've had recently from that committee that was put together. It, oh, it, the, J the James Baker Committee. Well, he may be a, a colleague or a friend of yours at some point, and I don't want to step on a sensitive issue, but it turns out James Baker's law firm represents the Saudi government. I found that to be a, an amazingly biased report. Among a number of other uh, uh, oil-producing governments. Yeah. But that, well, so we, you know, for the first time in our history, we seem to be outnumbered and surrounded by genuine enemies. Now let's look to our southern flank. We've got a, a man in Venezuela who continues to say he's going to help overthrow uh, our, our nation, Hugo Chavez. He's in cahoots with, with Iran. What would you do about the growing threat of socialism, communism in South America? Is there anything we can do? Well, sure, there's a lot we can do, and that is to uh, not do what we did very recently when we had a group rise up to throw the fellow out, and we stood up and said, well, they weren't elected, so uh, <laughs> we're going to reinstate his position. That's what we did in this current administration, I'm sorry to say. So you would help the uh, opposition forces within that nation uh, to restore uh, some semblance of, uh, of, of democracy, or at least, let's say, uh, 
property value democracy as opposed to seizing private property. Well, I don't know that we've had as many threats at one time as we do today. Have we, in your estimation, General Haig? Well, we have a number that could be used and, and should be used to give this fellow something to worry about rather than to just spend his time destabilizing more democratic regimes, which he's trying to do all over Latin America. And he's also going to be helping and has been helping terrorists come across our southern border. So that's something we better be very, very alert to. I heard the C-SPAN interview with you at the Nixon Library, and of course, I've said the same thing myself many times. We know of the reports of Islamic uh, fanatics shaving off their beards, taking on Hispanic surnames and crossing the border, sometimes perhaps with weapons of mass destruction. Why is it that I know that, you know that, millions of uh, the Internet readers know that, but our leadership seems to be blind to that? Well, I, I don't think they are. I think they're trying to do their best, but I think they have to understand this is a life-or-death struggle. It's underway. It's global in character, and it's going to require sacrifices that have not been asked for or required by the leadership. And until they do, we're going to find ourselves always being driven by the New York Times or the Washington Post. What would those sacrifices be, General Haig? Well, we're going to have to substantially increase our armed forces. Now, that sounds terrible after all these years and all the money that's been squandered. But, you know, we put into Iraq two and a third divisions to do what 26 divisions did in the first Gulf War. And mm. you knew it wasn't going to work, and it hasn't worked. It's a mm. disaster. Mm-hmm. Well, this goes back to the more philosophical uh, question of, of uh, uh, history. We all know Santayana, the Spanish philosopher, wrote, those who do not know their history are condemned to repeat it. Uh, it may be worse than that. I know that we're going to repeat our history. We may be entering to a phase of history that cannot be repeated, God forbid. Uh, what can we do to ensure that our children know history better? Well, I do a lot of teaching. I've taught at the University of Pennsylvania and a number of universities. And I always recount the statement of Winston Churchill at the end of World War II, where young people asked him, how does one learn statecraft? And he said, read history, young man, read history. Because it's only through a knowledge of history that you begin to unlock the secrets of statecraft. And our people today, our government officials, our elected officials, and our schools are no longer even teaching that critical subject which gives us pride and understanding and why this nation became the nation it is. I agree with you. I, I uh, was very impressed with your statement that we have a Secretary of the Treasury, I believe, who is boasting that he never read a book on economics. We have a foreign uh, services uh, leader who says he's never read a book on, on foreign affairs. How does this happen? How do they wind up in these positions? Don't get me started on that. And they're all Democrats. They're all left-wing liberals. That's where their birthplace was. And they got mad at their own party because it went too far left. And that's and I have, I'm sorry to say Ronald Reagan brought him in to the Republican Party. And I warned him. I said, be careful, Mr. President. These guys are not Republicans. He said, well, Al, you know, I was once a Democrat. I said, yeah, but you were not a neocon. And he wasn't, thank God. Unbelievable. Yeah, that's just what we see, which is uh, uh, Democrats with an R next to their name. Well, General Haig, I won't keep you any longer uh, on the Savage Nation today, but it's been a, a great honor and a great pleasure. 
and I won't soon forget this, uh, this, uh, these few moments that we've had together, and I hope that uh, we can hear your wisdom again in the very near future here on the Savage Nation. You keep up your struggle because it is important, and it does make a difference. Well, I will because of you. Thank you, General. Home of Borders, Language, Culture, The Savage Nation. For those of you who have not yet signed up for the Savage Exclusive Club, here is a little piece of what you missed this week. It's pretty good. A lot of people have signed up. They get special things. Right now, I guess we have our guest, one of my favorites, Mr. Steve Allen. Is Mr. Allen with us? Yes. How you doing? Steve, I grew up on you, you know. <laughs> well, get off me. <laughs> you know, I saw a full-page ad that an organization put out where you are appalled at I guess, what, filthy language and filthy images on television? Is that the primary motivation? On television and radio, yeah, especially in regard to how we'll be um, exposed to children. Uh, if everybody on Earth were 57, it's none of my business, but we got a lot of kids listening to this stuff and seeing it. And what would you like done? Well, <laughs> to talk about ideals, I'd like everybody to knock it off, but the world has never run that way. Uh, sometimes... Uh, People have talked to me the last three or four days about the ad, and they said, hey, this is pretty heavy, hard-hitting stuff. And uh, I thought back to an old joke that I think goes back to about the turn of the century when there were a lot of country jokes. A farmer has a notoriously stubborn mule which can't be trained to do anything, does whatever it wants. So a guy comes along and says, I can, I can take care of that mule for it. I can fix it. So the farmer says, go ahead. So the guy picks up a club, gives the poor mule a terrible whack over the head. And the farmer says, why'd you do that? And the guy says, well, first you've got to get their attention. Mm -hmm. It's an old line. Now, are you, are you suggesting that you whack Hollywood over its head with a stick? Uh, not entire Hollywood, <laughs> but, uh, but in a sense, yeah. Uh, what I've done with the ad, in other words. And by the way, I'm, I'm only the one who signed the ad and, and is glad to send out that message. Uh, it's placed by an organization called the Parents Television Council. Hmm. They came to me after having uh, become aware of my own views on the subject, which are m remarkably like their own. Uh, about ten years ago, when the L.A. Times uh, had heard that I feel this way, and I'm only one of dozens, by the way, in the comedy business who does, they asked me to write a piece for them. So I did. The morning that it was published, I got a phone call at my office from Mort Saul, who's an old friend, but I hadn't seen him in some time. I couldn't get him off the phone. He said, thank God somebody finally said this. Oh, Mort Saul's one of my old-time favorites as well. I didn't think he would join you because, you know, in essence, you're taking on the Hollywood establishment. Yeah, well, he's, he's a gutsy guy. Um, we're not all of the establishment, but yeah, there's a lot of power here and a lot of uh, commercial power, so I know what I'm doing. But, Steve, this this could result in a in a, in a boycott of your work and uh, of, right. of Mort's work. You can have the equivalent of McCarthyism are coming from the other side if you keep it up. It is. I do intend to keep it up, and you're absolutely right. It, it could come to that, but I literally don't care. Uh, first of all, I, I might care if I were <laughs> down to my last $800, <laughs> but I'm living comfortably. And uh, I, when I first got to New York in 1950 to do television for CBS, uh, it came to my attention. You'll, you'll first wonder if this has any relevance, but as soon as you hear it, you'll see why. I noticed that the Mafia was basically running New York, and I don't mean that as an exaggeration. Uh, whatever business you're talking about, the garment business, uh, the liquor business, the laundry business, the construction business, they were deciding who ran for Congress, who could be a judge, all of that stuff. And the food was better. <laughs> yeah, though, the food was great. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, what, in your opinion, is the most horribly degrading television show? Would you care to tell us the type you're talking about? Uh, sure. Um... 
one of them is one I haven't seen yet, although I'm going to make it my business yeah. to do so, so I'll speak more knowledgeably. I was with Jack Carter in a number of comics the other day at the Friars meeting, Friars Club meeting, and Jack just happened to say, I have just seen a situation comedy that is so dirty you wouldn't believe it. Now, this is not an altar boy. This is not Billy Graham talking. I mean, these are old vaudevillians, some of them, aren't yeah, they? a lot of them. A lot of them go way back to the club stuff. And some of them do vulgar material, but uh, in no, no, there are no children allowed. You dig right. the distinction here. So anyway, I said, uh, what is it? He said, this is a show called Sex in the City. And I've heard from other people that it's incredibly vulgar. So that would be one example. The Howard Stern show on radio or television would be another example. And I think if, if Howard hears what we're saying, he would not only not object because he does that deliberately. It's a, right. Sometimes you can do a joke, and you're literally surprised if somebody else is offended. What about a Jerry Springer type of show? Well, no, Jerry Springer is a different kind of problem, but totally revolting. And about 90% of the TV business has turned against him, because we're really all a little ashamed that he would drag the whole art form down that <laughs> deep into the sewer. <laughs> So he's, he's disgusting. But, but to get back to Howard, just briefly. You know, Steve, I've got to interject for a minute. You know, as I say, I grew up, you were, you know, you were a, a funny man, a talented man. You did all sorts of great stuff on Saturday nights. As I spent many lonely nights alone as a boy growing up. Thank you. With, with your programs. But I didn't know that you had such good thoughts behind all that great comedy. <laughs> well, uh, of the 52 books I've written, very few of them have anything to do with humor. It's easy to join the club. Simply click the link on michaelsavage.com. Thank you for listening. Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed and learned something from it. And I want to remind you of something that I think is important for you to know. We have over 280 Savage Nation podcast episodes available to you absolutely free. I'll say that again. You can go back into this vast library of over 280 episodes and listen to any one of them or several of them at your leisure. So you never have to be without the Savage Nation. Thank you very much for listening.